0: Hello and welcome to a festive episode of Batman Nightcast, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network that chronicles the legendary comic book adventures of the Dark Knight Detective. I'm Ryan Daly.
1: And I'm Chris Franklin.
0: And happy holidays to you, our dear listeners. It's December. This miserable son of a bitch of a year 2020 is almost <laughs> over. But first, we've got one more episode of Nightcast for you guys and gals two more batman stories and yes they are holiday related one more obviously than the other um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but before we get to that chris do you have any christmas or holiday related memories that involve batman uh, favorite presents or anything like that
1: yeah probably i mean i have uh, you know, over the years I've gotten a lot of Batman presents <laughs> for Christmas. I still get a lot of Batman presents for Christmas um, because Cindy indulges my you know my mania uh, probably like the seminal Christmas memory and this is very vague. I, I will say this is very vague. This is for Michael Bailey. I don't remember this in great detail, but I do remember I think it was Christmas uh let's see what year would that have been Uh, that would have been 1977 I guess I had was three I mean yes I had just turned three people and I do remember this I got it could have been 78 and I just had turned four but I think it was before that I know I got the Mego Batcave Batmobile and I'm pretty sure I got my first Batman and Robin for Christmas (laughs) that year Every I, I didn't get any villains. I never had any Batman villains as a kid. They were hard to find by that point. But I did. I got the whole the whole Batman world that you need. You got you know you got the Batman Batman Robin. You got the playset. Got the main vehicle. Because uh, I I one thing I actually do remember is uh, sitting in in amongst all the unwrapped gifts under the tree, and I remember the pink packaging of, of the Batman. The bat Batman was always on this weird pink magenta card from Mego. <laughs> The box, the card, the different formats he came in. They assigned a color to everybody, and for some reason they thought, hey, hot pink magenta, that's great for Batman. Uh, (laughs) So I don't know. Robin was on like a Robin bird blue, you know, Robin bird egg blue or something. But uh, yeah, so I I remember that pink card. That's, That's an actual memory I remember, and then the rest I've kind of pieced together when i got it but so yeah that was probably the oldest bat christmas memory what about you
0: well but i'll get to it but i was thinking you know what i imagine had to happen is they had a bunch of that pink that they just had to use and they're like (laughs) all right this is mostly a boys market boys aren't gonna want to get pink it's like we got to put this on something that will obviously sell batman they're definitely gonna get batman no matter what the card color is like that If we put pink pink on Green Arrow, nobody's ever going to buy Green Arrow.
1: That's right. In Migos' defense, the $6 million man line had the exact same color on everything. (laughs) I mean, that was the color of the boxes, you know. So, I mean, it it just, I guess, you know, maybe it wasn't as, you know, maybe that was a, a product of the 80s when Barbie. All the Barbie packaging went pink. And I remember, you know, walking into Toys R Us's in the, the 80s and early 90s. And the, literally, it, you could just like, you know, you could just be f- like running through a Toys R Us and mm-hmm. not even like just out of the corner of your eye, your peripheral vision, know where the Barbie aisle was because of the radiant pink coming <laughs> off of that aisle, you know. So maybe that, maybe that it hadn't got there yet. And in the 70s, hot pink magenta whatever you want to call it was perfectly fine for a boy's toy packaging i don't know <laughs>
2: nice
0: um christmas 1989 can you imagine mm. what, what that wow happened? yeah <laughs> i i think as far as i can remember i think that christmas i got the bat cave and i think the bat wing mm. um both associated with the the tim burton movie of course naturally and had a lot of fun with it, but at that point, you know, by because as soon as the summer came out, I had Batman and Joker and Bob the Goon, um, and um, and the Batmobile too. And I think that Christmas I got the Batcave and the Batwing. And just I mean, I I was still I mean I liked those toys and I loved the movie. I mean how many times I saw it, but I didn't get as much action out of those toys. I didn't really play with them that much. Uh, compared to other things because i was still I was still into g i Joe and I still would be for another year or two and I remember either by design or just natural like sort of wear and tear just beating up that bat cave, and by the end of it, I had stripped off all of the extra pieces, so it was just this gray piece of plastic <laughs> in this ro- sort of rocky shape and everything like that. And I would turn that upside down, lay it on its side, inside out, and it would just, it just became like this sort of rocky formation thing. And I would use it as a diorama to set up like G.I. Joes and other stuff like that. And I, I used the, the cheap piece of gray plastic for the Batcave without any of the Batman related stuff. I took all of that off. <laughs> and now, now it's not like this was right away, but probably within a year, by 90 or 91, it's just this husk of gray plastic that looks like a. Rocks and and just this stuff. And I would just have the G.I. Joe's there, and they would be, like, fighting, or they would be hiding from a Cobra patrol. I would use it as, like, the little cave, like the the, the shaft that the Joker can fall into or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. I had it on the side, so it was more of, like, a sewer tunnel, and I would have, like, Tunnel Rat or Sneak Peek hiding in there. I
1: knew you
0: were going to say Tunnel Rat. (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course. It had to be Tunnel Rat, yeah. Um.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, you know, there's something to be said for... A playset like that that can just like that that's generic enough, especially after you strip all the the computer monitors and things with the Joker's picture on it off and, <laughs> yeah. and things like that it, it, that that you can that you can just use as a generic mm. structure. Like I we use me and my friends used the su- Secret Wars Tower of Doom that way because oh, it yeah. wasn't yeah. very specific to it wasn't specific at all to Doctor Doom, so it made a great. I mean, Dark Side Headquarters Cobra. Uh, even Decepticons, you know, you know, whatever you know, you could use it for whatever, and mm-hmm. it, it just was a great like playset. And but yeah, I love the idea of you just using it as a big hunk of plastic. To- <laughs> yeah, you know that. I think I, I think when I did my wonderful toys episode on the Batman '89 toys, that that toy biz Batcave is is the best thing I think they did in that line. Though it's just it's it's it is really a pretty neat pretty neat play set. I mean, it it really is nice. I've got it. It's sitting over here right behind me while we record. So, I got that in 1989, too. I think I actually got that Mm -hmm. uh, for Christmas as well. But, you know, of course, by then, I was a collector. Right. uh, You know, but, uh, yeah, but I still, you know, I set my figures up around it and everything. So, yeah, it was... Yeah, that's, that, that's really cool. I, l- I love the idea of tunnel rat crawling through there and, and sneak peek. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> the other thing that I'm thinking about doing for this year, and I probably should just you know, bite the bullet and do it, uh, I'll give a shout-out to one of our listeners and a friend of the, uh, of the network, Martin Gray. Uh, when my son Reese was born, Martin sent me the book Bedtime for Batman. It's a little children's, like, you know, storybook and everything to get them ready for Batman, and it has this little boy doing all of these things that kind of parallel Batman adventures, you know, cleaning mm-hmm. up Gotham City and everything. Really adorable book. Reese really likes that, and he hasn't taken as much, like, interest in, in those things yet because I haven't been... I haven't shown him, like, the Batman cartoons or the movies yet or anything like that, so that's kind of his only visual thing for, for Batman is he really likes that book. So I'm, I'm probably going to get him for Christmas the... um the new McFarlane toys Batman based on the animated series look. Mm. Um, the only reason I haven't done it yet is like knowing my own sort of completest compulsion. I'm going to want to get the animated series Superman and Green Lantern 2 and all of them <laughs> complete the whole Justice League as they come out.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah. That, I, you know, one thing I you know, there's all those great Imaginext uh, Bat Caves. They've been making Bat Caves for oh, years Yeah. And yeah. My kids had them. Um, you know, Andrew, Andrew got into them probably right about the time he, you know, just a year or so before he would have quit playing with that age of toys, those pre- you know, preschool toys. Yeah. But then Danny inherited them, and she got more. And uh, I think that first Batcave's still around here. But pretty much every year they put out a new Batcave. And I, it's <laughs> they're really super cool. And I think I've, I saw the one this year. It actually comes with, like, a Bruce Wayne figure that you can – Change into Batman, you know, and you put him in a little thing and you turn it, and 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 then uh, Spin Masters, who does the the toy, the kids toy line, uh, they got the, the 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 children's play line Batman license where McFarlane got the collector line. They've got a Batman uh, like Gotham City playset. It kind of reminds me of the old Kenner uh, Bat Cave playset where it was the Wayne Manor and the Bat Cave, and then the villains hideout. Kind of looked like the Penguins. Uh, or, or look like Ace Chemica, uh, Access yeah, chemicals, okay, or okay. you know that you know that one. Um, it, well, I've seen versions where it looks more like the Penguin's uh, layer too. But but um, they've got a, it's got different environments. It's got like a Gotham City environment and a, a Bat Cave environment and stuff. So there's lots of cool Batman stuff out this year that's really like. And I and I don't buy as much. I mean, I used to years ago i would have bought everything right. <laughs> but one i don't have the room and two i'm like you know maybe i should like not spend that much money on these type of things uh so i'm a little more selective but there's so much great stuff out there that okay. uh kids that you for kids and, and i just will say as a parent you have shown tremendous restraint because i just basically you know when my, my kids are like here watch this you know right now when you're <laughs> it's like a clockwork orange basically you know but it's like here's a here's your high chair let me put on batman the animated series in front of you for the next eight hours you know <laughs> absorb this <laughs> so good parenting on your side I, Bad I, I, I'm, on mine. <laughs> I'm
0: i'm so self-conscious and so worried that like i'm gonna show it and he's gonna reject it like it's all oh, like, like every every once in a while i'll turn on like a spider-man cartoon and and Reese will be like no, no, I kind of wave it off. He's like, I don't want to watch this. I'm like, ah, damn it!
1: <laughs> oh no, yeah, so I, I got gonna, you.
0: But but I'm like, all right.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's always. I, I I can't really think that you know my my kids like really turned away from too much that that I showed them. I mean, you know, I mean, and sometimes it, what they will watch surprises you. Like, day, I was watching uh, the second Kolchak movie last night, The Night Strangler, and and Danny was sitting on the couch crocheting, and she got involved in it. And, you know, I didn't really know she was paying attention, but she was like sitting on the edge of her seat when they got to the end of it. What was going on there? (laughs) Richard, Richard Anderson from Six Million Dollar Man is this, you know, guy that like is taking this elixir to stop him from aging. But he has to strangle these women every 21 years, you know, Uh, (laughs) and she got into it at the end of it, you know, so it uh, uh, I was like, hey, you know, I've done all right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how many 12 year olds will sit down and watch a movie from 1973 and not go, Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, here's hoping there's more of them. So,
1: yep. Yep. Me too. Me too. Well, and I hope, I hope Reese, I hope you hook him up for, uh, Hook okay, him up for uh, Christmas this year with Batman stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know he's all he's already getting a bunch of other stuff from his grandparents who haven't been able to see him f- since February. I'm sure he'll be spoiled, and I've got him. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, he'll he'll get <laughs> he'll get plenty of stuff. Oh, cool. <laughs> anyway, let's get into our stories. Um, we're gonna start off uh, the first one uh, we're gonna be covering, folks, is the Silent Night of the Batman. This was originally published as an eight-page backup story in Batman issue 219. That book had a cover date of February 1970, but an on-sale date, according to Mike's Amazing World, of December 4th, 1960, 51 years ago from the date this episode comes out. That's pretty cool.
1: That is cool. Yeah.
0: This story is written by Mike Friedrich and penciled by Neil Adams, which is probably why it's been reprinted so often. It was inked by Dick Giordano, colored by Jerry Serpe, and edited by Julie Schwartz. The story has been reprinted in Neil Adams' collections, of course, and Showcase Presents Batman Volume 5, also the Christmas with the Superheroes Treasury comic, also known as Limited Collector's Edition C43. Not sure which title I like better, I think... Christmas with the Superheroes. <laughs> uh, that's close. I mean, Limited Collector's Edition C-43 does have a nice little ring to it. and kind of rolls off the tongue.
1: Sounds like a Star Wars droid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it will be now. <laughs> it was also in the first Christmas with the Superheroes issue from 1988 and the DC Woo-hoo! Holiday Special from 2017. Night. All is calm. Christmas Eve in Gotham City. From a rooftop, the Batman watches people hustle about the streets, finishing their holiday shopping and spreading good cheer. The bat signal lights up the winter sky, and the Cape Crusader swings to police headquarters. Commissioner Gordon is waiting for Batman, but not because there's an emergency requiring his action. Gordon wants Batman to take the night off from patrolling and instead join the Gotham City Police Department in singing Christmas carols. While Batman sings jingle bells with the cops, elsewhere in the city a boy steals a wrapped package from a woman on the street and runs away. He turns down an alley to lose the woman chasing him and meets up with other boys from his gang to check out their loot. Opening the package, the boys are startled to see it contains a Batman doll. Spooked and a bit guilty, the boy repackages the doll and goes back to the street to return it to the woman. Back at the station, Batman sings We Three Kings with the cops, while in a different part of the city, a man walks down the street with a gun drawn. He is shaking, visibly in an emotionally charged state he bumps into someone who knocks him down. Pointing the gun, he is quickly ashamed to realize the person who bumped into him is a blind man. Not just any blind man, though. This one is dressed as the Batman and wearing a sign that reads, Support Wayne Foundation Christmas Drive for the Blind. Deeply ashamed of whatever he had planned to do with the gun, the man drops it in a garbage can and walks away. Batman sings Santa Claus is coming to town while a woman named Patty sits in her lonely home missing her husband Tom, a soldier. Through tears, she reads a note possibly informing her that Tom has died. She goes to Gotham Bridge, buying a rose from a vendor. She reads the note from or about Tom again and considers jumping off the bridge, but when she looks down, the crashing waves form the shape of the bat symbol. Instead of jumping, Patty tosses the rose over the side. Then she turns around just as a military personnel carrier drives by. It stops, and Patty's husband, Tom, gets out, running into his wife's loving arms. At the police station, Batman realizes that it's six o'clock in the morning. He's been singing carols all night long without disturbance and wonders if the spirit of Christmas has imposed a kind of supernatural peace over the people of Gotham. Just then, a glowing spectral image posits that the spirit of Christmas might in fact be Batman. Rubbing his eyes, Batman realizes that the vision he saw was just Commissioner Gordon. Gordon suggests that all of the work Batman puts in throughout the year has paid off, giving him one free night. As dawn breaks over the city, Batman swings home, thinking about Gordon's words and the unexplainable power of the holiday. All right, Chris, what did you think?
1: Oh, well, this is a, this is a classic. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a lot of fondness for this one. I, I first read it in that Christmas with the superhero special in, in 1988. So, mm. uh, it, this be after that, when I got this, I think I may have even heard about this story before, like in uh comic buyer's guide or comic collector magazine, one of those rare comic magazines. It was on newsstands back then. Um, and, um, you know, after that, it became a. You know, I, I always I would have a stack of comics that I would go read by the Christmas tree every year, uh, and and this was one of them. And this, you know, this this is the end story uh, in that first collection, and and you know, it's it it goes out with a bang every yeah. time. It's yeah. it's just it's it's just it's just a, it's just a wonderful story.
0: Yeah, I like it. and I the same thing. I read this in the that 1988 Christmas with a superhero special. That's what I've got. What I'm looking at here. Um, which is good because I'm assuming when this was reprinted, it hasn't been redrawn or touched up by Neil Adams. I'm assuming <laughs> this is as close to the original drawing and coloring as possible.
1: But. Yeah, I, I don't think he had, he started touching up stuff yeah. yet. No, at this point, yeah.
0: no. <laughs> um, fun little fact, this was Neil Adams' second solo Batman story uh, after The Secret of the Waiting Graves, which we covered earlier this past year. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he had, as we talked about, he had done Batman stories in the Brave and the Bold and other stuff, but this was his first credit on the Batman comic book.
1: Yeah, yeah, he'd done a few covers, and he'd done World's Finest and Brave and the Bold, but yeah, this was, yep, this is his first time on, on Batman, so yeah, and this, it's amazing how this is. This uh, little eight-page story that gets reprinted all the time is buried in a comic that doesn't even mention it on the cover.
0: Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Batman's <laughs> getting pushed out of a plane over Washington D.C. Yeah. Uh, with a with a title that doesn't have anything to do with modern day, saying "Death Cast the deciding vote." You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So for you listeners, uh, the the lead story in that book talks about electioneering and stuff like that, and we we considered covering that one too, and it's like, no, let's not think about that. Let's not. Yeah, even-
1: Let's have a break from that, okay let's, let's we all need a break from that, so yeah,
0: uh. <laughs> um starting with page one, man, I love that first panel that that big panel that's like a long vertical shot it. Adams puts the camera very low. So we're looking up at these crowd of people shopping and, and there's a family there, like a husband and wife walking together, kind of laughing or singing with the boy on the man's shoulders. And up, if you just follow the line from the buildings, you see Batman over the rooftop, such a great shot. I love that image.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that great worm's eye view. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, that's the type of stuff that, you know, Neil Adams, guys like him and Storanko were, they were just now bringing that kind of visual punch to, To regular comics, you know, it was it was definitely a shot in the arm from D.C.'s kind of stayed Silver Age look at this point. I mean, because we're, you know, I mean, we're kind of right on the cusp. I mean, well, this is just a, you know, just a month or so after Secret of the Waiting Grave. So we're on that on that cusp of Silver to Bronze Age here. So, yeah, it's good. Great stuff.
0: Getting to the second page and and panel two, Batman looks really skinny in that second panel. Like holding like the 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 cape wraps around him. I was like, is this is Batman on heroin? What is he he doing? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's Batman in that uh, uh, in the the storyline where he tries uh, the the uh, venom and he comes back. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know, the, yeah. it's it's after he comes out of the cave, all you know, de- de- desiccated. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, you know, Neil Adams, Batman is pretty lithe. He's you know, but yeah, he look Yeah, you're right. His shoulders look like this is like Michael Keaton without the armor, Batman. Mm. Yeah, right here, he's tiny. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, that same panel, panel two. I don't know about your copy. If you look really closely, do Batman's eyes look pink or white to you?
1: They look pink. They like they didn't they didn't color his eyes white. They colored them flesh color. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there, there's something like that, or like I didn't know if it was like if there was some sort of like because the opposite page has the red of the of the lettering or something. If they kind of like rubbed across or something like that, but yeah, it's mm,
1: yeah. And on the opposite page, his eyes are blue. Uh, they're all blue. Yeah, they're not yeah.
0: white. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: So hmm, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> um, I don't know who did the lettering in this. Uh, for I mean, for the um, for the actual singing for the lyrics, I wonder if that was Adams.
1: Yeah, you know that kind of looks like some of the stuff, the psychedelic stuff he did in Dead Man. I wonder if he didn't do that. You know, when Ramna Kushna was was talking to Dead Man and all the text was go- going everywhere. That's that's it. Kind of looks like that. So yeah, I, I wonder if he didn't. He didn't draw that in himself, yeah. Could be – or it could be somebody like um, – uh, oh, gosh, Milt Snapping, or um, mm-hmm. – who's the, who the other guy? I, that's awful. I can't think. Um, I, I'll think – everybody's screaming at me. I know he designed so many of the DC logos. Oh, okay. um, uh, God. Yeah, I always thought
0: it was just his last name. I,
1: yeah, yeah. And there was Gaspar Saldino. Gasper, and that's who
0: I was thinking of, Gaspar There's Gaspar,
1: and then there's um, – Irish Ira snap, Irish Ira snap. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's him too because he was great with all these, you know, using. I mean, in the days before, you know, you could just go into a program and <laughs> find a cool <laughs> font and do some cool effects with it. Uh, he did some great stuff. I know Dal B for blog did like uh, s- sung his praises years and years ago. So yeah, it, it, it might have been any of any of those three guys, but it could also have been Adams. It'd be interesting to know. Yeah, you could ask Neil Adams and he'd tell you. I'm sure. <laughs> Possibly for a fee, but he'd tell you. you know,
0: <laughs> I'm sure he would say he did it all. <laughs> Mike Friedrich didn't even give him the script. He just did the whole thing. So.
1: That's right, 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 yeah. <laughs>
0: um, each one of these individual vignettes, like these tiny, short little chapters with the kid robbing her and, and feeling guilty and bring back, and the man with this gun and the, and the woman, each one of these vignettes, I feel like Adams is channeling like... Like little like stuff like he might have been doing with like House of Mystery, House of Secrets, and he hadn't done that much with those titles prior to this, but it just feels like that's kind of like the feeling I'm evoking is some of his early work on those like mystery suspense books,
1: mhm, yeah, and some of this stuff you know he had done like the Ben Casey uh newspaper strip, which was based on the t v show about yeah. the doctor yeah. and you know a lot of this is this is more you know human interest type mm-hmm. stuff you know he's 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 drawing different people and Modern clothes, walk of life stuff you know uh people on people on the street type stuff uh so you know he he was really really good at that I mean he was really good at drawing superheroes, but he was his illustrative style really worked well with showing you know the look on the guy's face when he confronts the the blind the blind man dressed not only as Batman but with a santa beard uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I know the guy's blind and I'm not trying to make fun of him, but it's like Wow, you know, pick a lane, buddy. You know, are you Santa or are you
2: Batman?
0: <laughs> oh my god, I just thought that would be a that would be a deep cut cosplay if we ever wanted to do something like that. Get a get a Batman costume plus black sunglasses over your eyes and a Santa and a Santa beard and then that sign support Wayne Foundation Christmas drive for the blind.
1: Uh, yeah next time we do a, a thing you know if we ever get back to comic conventions and we do one all together we should some one of us should dress like that we should <laughs> you know, that should be our costume that's that's awesome yes yes <laughs> i want to see a, a variant batman action figure like this <laughs>
0: <I was> gonna... <laughs> come on McFarlane. get in on it yeah right <laughs> um did you have any theories of what this guy might have been doing with the gun was he going to kill somebody or going to rob somebody
1: no, you know I really I really don't know. Um, I, you know I've kind of always assumed that he was going to go rob someplace, mm-hmm. uh, but he might have been just some kind of gunman just sent to rub out somebody. You know, or he might have been somebody just out for revenge, just going to go take care of somebody that had done him wrong. I,
0: jilted husband or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Exactly. Could have been something like that. And it, you know, it probably was somebody. It was probably somebody who normally wouldn't. Think to carry a gun and do something awful. Mm-hmm. Who was just, you know, in a moment of insanity, was going to go do something, and this brought him back down to reality. Because I can't think a hardened criminal would be that, <laughs> that um, um, you know, moved by this. But right. you know, it, it's Christmas, and, and this is a very sentimental Christmas story, so maybe he would. So I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's what I get the impression from the from uh, page four on that that first panel where we see him. The fact that it looks like his hand is shaking. That he's doing, right. that he's clearly in some sort of—he's either nervous or he's just emotionally distraught over something that he's learned, and he's going to cre- commit a crime of passion, basically. Um, and and right. this, just this spot of like of Batman and this and you know mixed with Santa and the spirit of Christmas or whatever just kind of snaps him out of it, and he he has this moment of like, what am I doing? And he throws it away. So right, right, and then the woman. I I mean, we're just totally projecting what I think, but I I got the impression that she's reading a letter saying that her husband has died, um, but yeah, yeah it, it could have been anything.
1: Yeah, I actually um, interviewed Mike Friedrich uh, about this story. I wrote an article in uh, Back Issue magazine. Uh, it was actually issue number 85 from December 2015, so it's been five years ago, but I uh, did an article on Batman stories in the Bronze Age, Batman Christmas <laughs> stories in the Bronze Age. Not all Batman stories, good lord, uh, <laughs> but Batman Christmas stories in the Bronze Age. And uh, he was very, it was it was very cool to to you know email back and forth uh, with Mike F- Friedrich, um, a- and uh, about that particular uh, scene, uh, he talked about uh, the script is written has the soldier's wife contemplating suicide. Today today I think this is a horrible cliché, and I'm so, so grateful that Neil drew the scene in such a way that it's much more ambiguous, although you picked up on that. Um, We still have the cliché of her husband right then leaping out of the truck, but hey, it's Christmas Eve. And speaking of the soldier's wife scene, did you notice that she's pregnant? That wasn't in the script. Neil added it. Probably the first pregnant woman in a DC comic. So she's meant to be pregnant because you see her in one of those long – what do they call those – Those long coats that women wore in the '60s that you know basically wrap all around them. Uh, I am, yeah. It's not a petticoat, is it? I don't know what you call that. Um. It's I don't know what you call that, but 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 if you look, she is kind of she's not comic shapely Mm -hmm. uh, the, the way most women in comics are drawn, especially back then. And you know she looks thin otherwise, but she does seem to have a little girth in her uh belly area if you if you look hard enough it's right. pretty subtle but mm-hmm. yeah so she the fact that she was pregnant and contemplating suicide Woo, you know yeah. <laughs> that's even uh that's even wow more uh there so yeah that was that was kind of interesting uh tidbit i had never really picked up on that i kind of got the suicide thing uh, you know i i kind of always question well was she going to or was she not and and uh you know he confirms that um, she in the script, it was more it was more obvious that she was. Uh, but Neil Adams kind of softened the blow, but he added the <laughs> the fact that she was pregnant. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, as as he said, it, like the fact that she's right there on the bridge. This vehicle happens to stop. Her husband just happens to be on it. He happens to recognize her just on the on the side of the bridge and get out and they're reunited. It is. Coincidence after coincidence after coincidence, but it is the spirit of Christmas, exactly as Friedrich said. It's one of those of course it's gonna happen right then. So
1: Yeah, you know and, and you know, one thing about it is, you know, and and I mean this is you know it's called the silent night of the Batman. All these vignettes with the people on the street are silent. Right. Uh there's there's no dialogue, there's no we don't hear you no thought balloons. That's very unusual for comics at the time. I mean, this was yeah. you know, yeah. The lettering, years the before.
0: lettering is just the lyrics and the musical notes and everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. It just it, it goes. You know, the scenes with Batman at police headquarters singing, which is mm. something that just in a few years Batman would probably not do. Uh, <laughs> we're we're a very Batman in tra- tra- uh, in transition here. You know, from transitioning from the Silver Age to the Bronze Age, but um, you know, unless unless
0: Atomic convinced him to sing, Am I Blue.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we learned that Batman and Kevin Conroy have a very lovely singing voice. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I think it would listeners if you've ever seen uh the show Parks and Recreation, there's a scene where like the whole crew has to get together to sing like they basically this song this uh freedom rally type of type of song to for one of their friends who's a political candidate. Um and Rob Lowe is among the cast members and they're trying to find like something about it doesn't sound right. So Chris Pratt's character is having everybody, like, sing individually to find out, like, how their voices, And Rob Lowe has to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, like this thing, Stretch. And he does it so
2: off-key. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the game. I just want to be at the game. I would like to eat at the
0: game. I'd like popcorn and candy in the home team at the game. It sounds terrible. And everybody's just looking at him. And the whole joke is like, you know how Rob always like this. He, he looks great. He's this handsome guy. He's so enthusiastic. He's so, he's this fitness buff and everything. And he's always just smiling and happy. And this is, like, this first time you see this real, genuine imperfection that he sings horribly. And it's kind of like this joke that everybody is just staring at how bad he is. And that's kind of what I got from this Batman story. It's like, what if Commissioner Gordon had all these cops, like, Batman come down to sing with the police? And it turned out Batman's singing voice was just awful. (laughs) It's like, what if if it was so bad that, like, people were, like, plugging their ears. They didn't want to stand next to him. It's like, this is awkward. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know, Batman... Batman talks like this but when he when he gets to sing and he sounds like Jerry Lewis or something silent night holy night you know I mean? you know it's like, and they're just all looking at him like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> or he could do the the Homer Simpson when he was singing oh holy night when he was a you know he, he's like
2: fall on your knees
1: and, then, and you know and then he and then his, he, voice, he, his voice drops in the middle of it and his Oh, no, oh, you know, Grandpa Simpson smacking his forehead because he thought, oh, this kid's going to make me a man. He sings like an angel, you know, that's <laughs> awful. But every time I hear that song and it's partially because my dad used to make me do that, he's because I could do the Homer voice. And he's like, do the do the Holy Night thing. And I'd be like, OK, you know, because we watched that episode oh, yeah. he's still every once in a while. So how Homer sing this song? I'm like, OK, I have to do it, Dad. I know. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but yeah it, it, it's 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 interesting though because a silent story i mean i don't i i, I didn't go back and do research but a uh, research but a silent story was very rare back then and this isn't completely silent but this is years before larry Hama did the snake eyes story and was right, that 21 right. was that 21 i 21, think yes of, of gi joe yeah uh the silent issue of that and you know of course that was oh man that's the coolest comic book ever you know which mm. is kind of is uh but, you know, it's one of them anyway uh but uh yeah it, it's it was unusual you know for um, you know uh, to, to see that in a comic of the time but it also because it is silent and you don't have word balloons and you don't have you know thought balloons and and narration it it kind of lets it kind of gives it a cinematic more of a cinematic feel like yeah. it's uh yeah. And 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 coincidences like the the husband jumping off the truck—it's like a, a Frank Capra "It's a Wonderful Life" moment, you know. Right, right. Uh, yeah. it, it's it it just kind of feels like that, you know. It's it's uh, and, it, and it works. It's a it's a Christmas story, and any other any other it's 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 the magic of Christmas that makes mm-hmm. you not go oh, you know, and roll your eyes a little bit,
0: honestly. Yeah. And it's you also, know, it's not even for the entire story. It's four pages, basically, that right. do that, and only one of the pages is completely without any text.
2: Right. Um,
0: the other pages all have, you know, some some text through, like, the song lyrics or something like that, kind of, like, floating about. But you're right, yeah, it's only kind of that middle chunk, and, and yes, because it is a Christmas story, you, you definitely get what they're going for, and I do think, it, you're right, it's absolutely cinematic. You can hear these songs overlaying as, like, a montage. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of funny because uh, Friedrich said, uh, when I got a chance to write for DC editor Julius Schwartz, a Batman Christmas story was one of the early ideas I pitched because he had, he remembered he had bought the Golden Age Christmas, uh, the Golden Age comics that had Christmas stories back in the 40s, you know, when Batman had four stories per issue, you know, around Christmas time, they would often put in a Christmas story, but that had dried up In you know, probably late 40s, early 50s, they'd stop doing it. Um, So he remembered those. And so he pitched one and he said he didn't agree until I'd gotten a couple of years experience. So he pitched it when he first got to D.C. And he said, uh, we spent a full summer month going back and forth on the story. Financially writing this story was a disaster back then, as now eight pages of script money does not pay the rent. But the final quality of the story has over the time made up for it. I think it's been reprinted more than any other story I've done. So he he lost money basically, but he cared enough about it that he just kept plugging away at Julia Schwartz to you know to get this story the way Julie and Julie was a very hands-on editor by like everybody's uh, estimation. He was deeply involved in the plotting. He almost every story Julia Schwartz edited, he probably should have got a co-plot uh, credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my understanding, he was very involved. You had to go in and pitch what the hook was, and you had to work it out with him before he'd send it off to go write it. You know, basically. Yeah. Yeah. um And uh you know, I asked him in the article because you know t- this is like as he's one of the first fans turned pro in comics. You know, you had guys like Denny and Roy Thomas, and and him were all coming in around the same time, and. They were people who had been fans of comics and of course Denny had been, you know I, I don't know if Denny was as diehard of a fan as some of the other guys because he was actually like trying to do like 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 we said on our Denny O'Neill show, he was a journalist and right. the guys like Friedrich and stuff were hardcore and he you had young guys like Carrie Bates that were like literally and Jim Shooter that were literally teenagers writing in and writing stories for these editors. But it's kind of funny because Batman here is treated as a symbol. I mean, his, the symbol of Batman is what keeps all these people from, you know, doing these awful things. Um, So, you know, that, you know, this is 1969, uh, 70 when this comes out, you know, and and I don't think the idea of of a comic character being more than just a disposable comic book character had really been explored a whole lot. Uh And, He said, as part of the first wave of comics fans hired to write and draw comics, I was aware of how important a symbol my favorite characters were to developing my ethical and moral life. For me, Batman was a great symbol for how light uh, slash goodness can exist and actually thrive in a world of shadow and gray. I was really glad to be able to show this in Silent Night of the Batman. So he, you know, he, you know. Nowadays, you know, there's been lots of stories where the symbolism. I mean, we just did a story about symbolism with Batman and the Joker mm-hmm. uh, last time and how, you know, Batman represents these other symbols and the Joker does too. But Batman himself, as a symbol of, you know, in, in Superman and in Captain America and these characters, what they can mean to the community, the community around them and the readers, the fans like us. That's something I don't think had really been explored. It took these young fans who grew up and I actually idolized these characters to bring that aspect into comics, and this is probably one of the first times it ever was.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're they're almost commercial properties even within the story themselves, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh uh, yeah, my last comment is I love the last panel of uh, Batman swinging through the city as the sun is coming up. That's just a great little, another great little Neil Adams image of Batman in motion. Gotta love that one. So yeah, that's I
1: always like how the I like how the uh, the last text is written on the roof of that building. I think that's a cool little. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it kind of looks like a weird panel, but it's also it's you know it looks like it's the little the the roof the I don't know the tin or. Whatever shingled roof of the building, because you see the chimney and you see the uh, the the door on the top of the the roof, and yeah, it's it's uh yeah, it's it's a nice little it's a nice little bit. The the bit with the spectral uh, commissioner Gordon was always kind of strange because because Batman, it's like it's like the ghost of commissioner gordon but he's not dead it's it's because yeah. it's, it looks like him it's got a it's got a mustache it's I, got glasses it's, yeah i
0: think i think that's yeah it, i don't think that panel really works i think it is it's obviously supposed to be gordon i think what it is it's like batman like because the sun is coming up now and he's been awake all night like his his eyes have to readjust to the light or something like that and it's creating this weird effect i don't I don't think it works. I think it's kind of like the one thing that's in the, that's kind of like really weird in the the story, but it also doesn't ruin anything. I mean, it's it's this is a story that is more about the emotional resonance than than necessarily logic. Um And yeah, as you said, I mean, it's it's a cool little capper that Batman he he like yeah, that's as as Gordon says, the investment that Batman puts in all year round merits yeah. his his one day off. That's that's the result as he gets. One day where everybody's like, "Yeah, you know what? Like, yeah, in in the spirit of Batman and Christmas, we, we won't crime today."
1: <laughs> right, exactly, and and you know the 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 hallucination scene. Hey, it was nineteen sixty
0: nine. I'm sure a
1: lot of these young comic writers were experimenting. I'm just gonna say, you know, I've heard stories and read stories where they admit that they were, yeah. They were mm-hmm. trying substances to expand their minds. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. <laughs> so that could very well be part of this too. Yeah. Uh, and, and Friedrich did say, you know, we got because we got to give full credit to Neil Adams because I think if we don't, he might actually, you know, <laughs> okay. you know, file an injunction against us. But uh, he did say that Neil Adams was involved in the story, how it evolved. He, he fed him scenes. As he submitted drafts to Julie, and he said, "Once the script was written and approved, his interpretation took it to another level." So he gave Neil Adams a ton of credit on this. So it was definitely a collaboration between both of them. And I, you know, great job, guys. You yeah. know, it's obviously it's a classic that's that stood the test of time at this by this
2: point. So yeah, do,
0: do credit to both of them. It was a really, a really nice, really pleasant and but also powerful story. So I think it works. Cool. Yeah. Yes all right listeners we are going to take a quick break to play a promo we will be back in a minute with another well an unusual story so don't go away did you leave the car running andy
2: i did i'm not sure why but i did
0: it it, it's
3: important like getting these comics from ryan and chris's nightcast offices
2: why are we getting these comics from ryan and chris
3: so, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman, so we're getting the comics from them to do that.
2: And, and they know that we're doing this?
3: What? That we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything.
2: So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines, Ten Nights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time.
3: Yeah, Andy. The the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www. 2com 2 com.
2: Busting my balls and everything. All oh, right, Robert. Right. Let, let's let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home.
3: Oh, no problem. I got the comics right
0: here. What's going on here,
2: Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike Yes Andy We didn't get permission to take these comics did we No Andy And when you told me to get the box out of the car You were really picking the lock to get in here Yes Andy So what do we do now
3: Well uh, we could try to talk our way out of this But when I tell you to Run Run oh. The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run. A multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings to a death in the family and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of bailey podcasting network located at www.fortressofbaileytood.com. The show is also available on Apple
1: Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and... And Spotify. Okay, we're back, and this time we're covering a story from Christmas with the Superheroes number two, which was on sale in 1989, it actually went on sale on October 24th, 1989, it was covered at 89, and that's really early, October 24th, it was it came out before Halloween, so all you people that complain that we jumped the gun on Christmas, especially this year, I mean, this came out <laughs> <laughs> before Halloween, so... Uh, <laughs> I, I know we're, we didn't talk about the cover last time, but it wasn't Christmassy, but uh, this one is a very Christmas cover by Steve, Steph, Stephen Destafano. I hope I pronounced his name right. I know uh, Rob's always bringing him up, and uh, he was the artist of uh, Amazing Man, as people remember. Uh, but uh, DeStefano and uh, Larry Maldstead uh, drew uh, Santa's Workshop. Uh, where the DC superheroes are helping out, uh, uh, putting toys together, and uh, Green Lantern Hal Jordan is presenting a teddy bear to Batman while Nightwing pats him on the back, and I just always, <laughs> I just always thought this cover was cute. It looks like uh, there's a lot of Golden Age uh, style DC heroes here: Batman and Hawkman and Plastic Man look particularly Golden Agey. Uh, on this cover, and and I've always liked it. It's like Thomas Nast meets the DC Golden Age, or something. You know, I, I <laughs> cool. what do you think? Do you did, did, do you know this cover? Do you, what do you think about it?
0: I, I I have this weird feeling. Like to me, like my I I look at this and I think this should tell me it's way too busy. It's way too cluttered. I don't know what I'm supposed to focus on. This that, like my mind tells me like this shouldn't work. But my heart is like, yeah, I love this cover because it kind of reminds me of like an advent calendar that I had when we were kids or something Mm. like that. Yeah. Each one of their faces you could pull aside and there'd be like some little like poem or something like that or some surprise behind one of the elves or something or like the little elf sitting on Superman's shoulder sharing a coffee with him or something. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like it. I like the style, the cartoonishness.
1: Yeah, it's, it's you know, it never occurred to me that Wonder Woman is like extremely hippie on this cover as I'm looking <laughs> at it. It's like, you know, it's like, uh, oh, okay, wow. Uh, but uh, no, I really, Batman's very Bob Kane uh, as he sits at that table. And Nightwing even looks like if you took the original original drawings of Robin by Kane and Jerry Robinson and put him in a Nightwing costume, that's what he looks like. So. Yeah. And it kind of fits this story, which we're going to get into. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I, I've always liked this cover. I like the previous cover by John Byrne, too, where the, the superheroes are all, uh, you know, they're all, like, sh- looking at their Christmas pet presents. By the tree, yeah, they've the, got
0: their, their boots hung up by the,
2: by the yeah, uh, fireplace super- on the back cover.
1: Superman's using his X-ray vision and finding out that his presence wrapped in lead, you know, that type of thing. It's, it's, which is ties into the justice league episode, you know, which mm-hmm. is great. So, uh, so the story we're going to cover is in the depths. It was written by Dave Gibbons. He did the story. Gray Morrow did the art and colors. John Costanza was the letterer and Mark Wade was the editor. A cavern witnesses the millennial passage of time in nearly complete darkness. Even the new light of the Christmas star is blotted by the shadow of one of its denizens, an errant bat. Centuries later, the bravest native warriors halt at its entrance, while the superstitious pilgrims from across the sea flee from the creatures that dwell within its shadows. The cave continues to exist for untold decades in darkness, until the day a young boy falls onto its floor from up above. His innocent mind is horrified to find the rabbit he chased there, preyed upon by the hungry bats that live there. Death will touch the boy more profoundly in the days ahead, and the cave must wait in darkness again until the boy returns, now a man. The cave accepts Bruce Wayne and his aide Alfred, who established their headquarters there, as the man takes on the mantle of the creatures he feared, swathed in shadows. But there must be a balance between the light and the dark, between obsession and justice. The cave witnesses another Christmas, where a tree is decorated, banners are hung, and a young boy receives a special gift, a uniform of red, green, and gold. This boy, Dick Grayson, also marred by tragedy, shines in contrast to his mentor, but their bond is undeniable. The years pass, and other Christmases come. The cave is adored not only with festive decorations, but trophies cultivated from countless adventures. Man and boy return from their latest exploits to celebrate the holiday with their aide and surrogate father figure. The cave finally knows light. But boys become men, and darkness can only be held at bay for so long. On yet another Christmas, Dick Grayson hands his uniform of red, green, and gold to Alfred, who then encases it with honor. The two men who bonded in tragedy shake hands, and then the younger parts for a destiny of his own, away from the darkness. The stalactites grow, and time continues. A damaged car returns in near failure, not triumph, with only one passenger. A solitary wreath in his hand to mark the season, Alfred leaves his decorating and runs to receive his injured master. Darkness has returned, and one day it will consume its favored sun. Winter beats through the cave's entrance, and a frozen, nearly-dead robin stumbles in. He lands among the covered trophy cases of brighter days as a dark, leathery predator circles, thirsty for blood. But the bird finds its strength, and standing before the case containing the red, green, and gold uniform of its namesake, fights back. The bat flies away, perhaps realizing that there must be a balance. The robin flies toward the sky, toward the shimmering star of 2,000 years before. The night is long, but it cannot last forever. So what do you think of this one, Ryan?
0: Whew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Of of course it's written by Dave Gibbons. Of course we get this story – Uh, told from the Bat Caves perspective. (laughs) And my first note, I had to look this up. Uh, You mentioned that this issue came out on October 24th, 1989. That was the exact same day as Secret Origins issue 46, which included the story Ghosts of Stone by Grant Morrison and Kurt Swan, which was from the perspective of the Justice League's first cave, Fortress. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there must have been something in the coffee at DC at at that time where these guys were drinking and they're like, yeah, we're going to tell a a story from the basis perspective and we're going to give a personality to these rocks and these cave formations as they witness (laughs) this history changing. Something weird going on.
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah.
0: (laughs) Having said that, once you actually you know once you're able to like follow and it's not a, it's not a hard uh story to get into um once you follow like the the language uh, that gibbons is using and the stunning breathtaking visuals by gray morrow who is just so damn good um, oh, yeah. it's a very good story it is is the short of it it's it's a short little vignette about this theme of light and darkness and and the power of both and and the basically It's basically about the importance of having a Robin and having that positive light character and what it does for Batman and how it eventually saves him from his own dark obsessions that would, you know, consume him and kill him. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's really – it's a story about the need for Robin and it's told after Jason Todd has been murdered. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: But, you know, interestingly enough, I had kind of put this, that this was in between Jason and Tim, but this actually came out the same, according to Mike's Amazing World, was released at the the same week or the same month as the final part of A Lonely Place of Dying, Batman number 442, where Tim Drake first dons the Robin costume. It's the original Robin costume. It's before he's officially Robin, he mm-hmm. you know becomes Robin to save Batman and Nightwing from Two-Face, but he is in the original Shorty Shorts Robin costume, and it's on that wonderful cover by George Perez, so mm-hmm. this really kind of dovetails with what that whole story was about, because that was Tim's whole thing, to show up and tell Batman, you need a Robin, he tried to get Dick to come back as Robin. So, I mean, in my in my mind, I had kind of placed this that this was like the year earlier that this was basically a response to, uh, you know, a a different editorial office's response to DC killing off Robin, especially an old fanboy like Mark Waid. But no, it was actually it actually works with a lonely place of dying. If you you know, if you look at it that way, because the Batman comics are telling us no Batman needs Robin. And then this one's (laughs) telling us, yes double down Batman needs Robin yes
0: <laughs> well if it was the former it would not be Mark Wade's only subversive critique of DC editorial in this issue
1: exactly yeah exactly
0: <laughs> because of, because of the Deadman story which uh, yeah. in which Deadman meets a, a woman named Kara who uh, bears a striking resemblance to another beloved character who was killed off a few years earlier
1: Yes. And apparently now I have heard different accounts. I've heard that Mark Wade was nearly fired. I have heard that, uh, although I think he is. I heard that for years, but I think he's come. as like, look, guys, I got approval to print this story. Did it rankle some feathers in some offices? Yes. But I was not nearly fired over that dead man story. And it was written by network uh, favorite and Rob Kelly's personal friend, Alan Brennert. Uh, that story and drawn by Dick Giordano. So right, right,
0: yeah. I mean, Dick Giordano drew it. <laughs> if if, exactly, were, if there exactly if there was going to be a problem with that story, I think he would have said something earlier. Right.
1: I mean, he was like essentially I don't know what his exact title was, but he was essentially like vice president of DC Comics at that time. Uh, so you know, he was definitely one of the top three people at DC, and you know, Paul Evans and Jeanette Kahn. So. Uh, yeah, he definitely would have uh, put the kibosh on it. He drew it exactly. He pointed that out too. Yeah, you're right. Mark Wade yeah. has said that in, yeah. in interviews. But get it. But, but back to this story.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. That my first thought was because of thinking about the Deadman one is that this might have been a, a critique of killing off Jason Todd and this idea that no, that was a mistake. That Batman should always have a Robin. That that part is important. Um and we uh, we also have no idea when the story was conceived or written and how long it was like in the the pipeline before they they put this out but I do like that idea that this might have been intentionally timed with a lonely place of dying uh to sort of like smooth that and and put a a more kind of big picture long lens thematic button on that idea the, of what they were saying is that Batman and Robin are a a team. They are as much a fixture of popular culture as Batman is separately.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, though. You know, it's because we see, you know, we see Alfred hang up Dick's costume and then the Robin, the actual bird Robin, falls into the cave before the case of the costume. Well, is that Dick's costume or is that Jason's costume? Jason's never mentioned in this. So it's, you know, you know, we as readers kind of associate because of because of the Dark Knight Returns, where we first saw Jason's empty costume hung up and we learned that Jason had died. Uh, And, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, they weren't called Elseworlds then, but uh, uh, a possible future that eventually partially became real in the in the actual continuity, you know, that Jason had died and his costume was hung in the cave. Uh, But here this is Dick's costume hung up. But is the bird in front of Dick's costume or Jason's. You can interpret it however you want, I guess. Uh but it's still, you know, it's still saying, you know, no matter who's in the suit, Batman needs a Robin.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little bit of melding of the two of them and it's it, because we don't get actual names or tag or like word balloons or anything. It's more right. that sense that um you know, it, this this is Robin. It, it could be Jason or Dick, um, and, and kind of putting putting their attributes and their history together. I mean, it's obviously Dick because he's the one going off to college, but yeah, kind of uh, yeah it, to try and to try and put two Robins, two separate kids in the story would just make it kind of cluttered and, and clunky. And I don't think we need that much of the the actual history in order to get the idea of this one.
1: No, 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 no. I think I think it's perfectly done that way. It's 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 more the idea of Robin anyway. At this, you know, at this point, the concept of of Robin and yeah, it's uh, it's 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 done really well. I, I like you know you talked about the art. I mean, I, I like Gray Morrow's art. Uh, I, I was exposed to it really early because it was in uh, he was drawing the uh, Vigilante strip in World's Finest. Didn't yep. run very long. Yep. And one of the issues with the uh, the issue with the uh, naked black canary versus the werewolf, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> one of my first comic books, uh, but uh, <laughs> somehow got past the comic code. Uh, but uh, I you know I liked his work then. I, I I did say you know whenever he drew Batman, he would draw Batman occasionally here and there. I as a kid, I hated that he didn't draw the whites, his eyes white. He drew. Hmm. The eyes like a mask you could see batman's actual eyes underneath the mask i i didn't like that but other than that i i enjoyed his artwork and you know in a lot of ways he was the original alex ross
0: yes i, mean, I was gonna say <laughs> he, the same yeah
1: oh were you okay cool yeah because he he's i mean very these are these are real people you know these are mm-hmm. um you know the, the, these actually look like real human beings in actual cloth costumes um so it 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 you know it, it brings a, a nice reality to to it uh, you know yeah he, so, he yeah.
0: doesn't have the painted painted quality that gives it almost like that Alex Ross has almost that photorealism but these do look like still images and it's kind of the one the one thing I would say is I like I don't think Morrow's necessarily like it doesn't flow as much as like sequential storytelling where you get the sense of like that that kind of movement and that flow in action it does feel more like still images like screen grabs and things like that and Mm -hmm. it, it works with the text as a sort of an illustration of what the story is being told rather than another kind of artist that has more of a fluid uh, you know, transition to kind of create that action. So I think, I, I mean, I, I guess I would say that like maybe that limits what type of stories Morrow should is best catered to, um, mm-hmm. but certainly something like this works. Um, and when we see him the way he draws Batman in costume, like the, the first time. It's on page four when he's in it. He has a, it, it's it, it like the streamlined, like the lack of additional lines. It has a very like David Mazzeielli year one uh, look to it, which I like a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I liked how he melded that look with the Batmobile in the back. Is clearly yeah. like the the earliest the earliest Batmobile that really looks like a Batmobile with the bad yeah. head front, and the big fin and we see it again later and 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 I love how you know then we see the 60s the new look comic batmobile and then we see the Brayfogle batmobile one yeah. of the Brayfogle Batmobiles, so I, I love how you know they actually they actually made the era appropriate batmobiles <laughs> to kind of you know it, it it makes the story work that much better it's like okay you're actual you're you're you know we've re- we've we've rejiggered the the origin somewhat this is the 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 Frank Miller Dave Mazzucchelli Batman look here but your comic your old comic books actually happened you know batman really did lighten up and have fun adventures you know like the tv show basically you know um and i like that and i I like that they you know this is kind of the same thing that grant morrison did but much cleaner (laughs) that that you know the different eras of batman actually occurred you know that 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 things changed in his life that you know the presence of dick as robin lightened up his his mood to the very nature of his his crusade and you know and and uh i i think that this is one of the first stories that ever really explored that i think that ever you know put a pin in that's like oh yeah this you know they they were having fun you know he enjoyed being batman when they could hop in the batmobile and rock it out of the bat cave it was a good times you know these were this was his best Batman life, you know, when, yeah. when he was, when Dick was Robin, you know, and and they were the dynamic duo. I mean, it, it, and it you know, it, I, I think that's great. It's it's it's, uh it, and as a kid, I ate that shit up because I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's like the TV show's legit, man. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like they're not just like totally thumbing their nose at. It. Oh, Batman's got to be dark. You know, it's like no, it's it it he really did. You know, they they had the big crime computer, and, you know, they had a Christmas tree in the bat cave, you know, next to the giant robot T-Rex, you know. <laughs> that's, that's awesome, you know. I mean, that, you know, that, that's one reason why, I mean, you was, we were talking about the toy bat caves. Every year when I was, you know, after I got those and I was collecting, I I got a little Christmas tree, and I'd set it up in, like, my, you know, like my Toy Biz bat cave or my Kenner bat cave, and I'd, I'd set it up and, you know, put my figures around it, and I had a little Christmas pack. I'd make like a little Christmas scene with my with my action figures and and stories like this are probably why I did it because you know it, it legitimized it to me. Okay, these guys celebrate Christmas in the Bat Cave. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I just thought it was a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, one the one thing about Gray Morrow. Oh, I should mention because we mentioned Migos earlier. He did the packaging for Migos' Mad Monster figures and the American West figures, which mm-hmm. were. Actually tied to the superhero line through Mego, they they called them World's Greatest Superheroes, and they were like sublines. But uh, yeah, so not you know just just FYI, you know just a fun thing for Grant Moore. Uh, but I do he did the colors here, and I don't know about your copy, but my copy is pretty muddy in places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, especially the page page nine where the the bats about to attack the the actual bird Robin. Uh, yes. it's really kind of hard to tell what's going on in some of those panels.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. You get, yeah, you, you kind of need the is sort of to clarify some of those, but yeah, a few of those panels in the darkness are, are difficult, but
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the nature, it's the, 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 the good old crappy newsprint and, uh, his, his techniques. And I almost would wonder if they didn't, I mean, I, I guess he inked this, I, some of it almost looks like it was like recreated from his pencils. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was or if he just inked it. He, he spotted the blacks but didn't, you know, go in and and ink. I don't know what his technique was. It just it, the, the, there's there's some pretty heavy blacks, but then uh, other parts of it looks like it's kind of open because it, and probably because he knew he was going to color it himself, maybe he didn't worry about like thick thicker guidelines for the colors to basically stay in the lines you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) because because he was going to color it himself but yeah
0: well is there like a a -a zip-a-tone effect over some of those panels on page nine like
1: yeah i think he used that quite a bit i think the Mm -hmm. zip-a-tone doesn't yeah it's definitely it's definitely over the scenes where the bats like i mean the the robin's like uh landing on the Mm -hmm. the covered up trophy cases and right before you see robin's boots in the bottom of his cape in the case yeah it's 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 definitely over those images, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that helps. That doesn't help the the muddy, <laughs> yeah. the muddiness of it all. Yeah.
0: Going back to page four, um, uh, Gibbons describes the Black Gulf waits patiently as like this like this void, this unending darkness in the cave, and sort of represents like what what fate could await Batman. And yeah, ultimately, I just I I love the theme of how it. it like the what what it comes down to at the very end, like the last lines: "For without darkness, light has no meaning." And long though the night has been, it cannot last forever. This whole thing of Batman needing a Robin and the the joining and the balancing of light and darkness as a powerful force that that keeps everybody safe and protected. Um, it, it's yeah, it's everything that you've been saying. It's that's why. I mean, you can tell some amazing, some dark complicated, psychologically probing stories with Batman as this loner. But I think stories about Batman and Robin together that are a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun, there's just a magic to those. And it it shows how um, Robin serves as a foil for Batman, much the same way if you take it outside, like the world's finest duo, when you see Superman and Batman, the reason they're so good together are because they're foils, because they represent the sun and the darkness and those two opposing forces. And I'm just like a... A symbolic, metaphysical level—that's just a very powerful thing for for a reader, for a viewer to watch and to experience that, and what that what that says about humanity and our conditions. And uh, it's just—it's great. That's why that's why these these characters, as American mythology, have existed for eighty years now.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that, exactly. And it's it's interesting because this was Dave Gibbons first writing credit at least on mike's amazing world now he may have done some writing in british comics that mike doesn't Hmm. have written down but um and he would go on to write the world's finest miniseries next year uh that was illustrated by steve rood and that that very much explored exactly what you just talked about i mean more than anything ever before that you know batman was the dark and superman was the light and you know um, you know, I mean, John Byrne had kind of you know touched on that a little bit when he introduced the more antagonistic relationship between <laughs> yeah. Superman and Batman in Post-Crisis. But uh, you know, Gibbons ran with it there. So I mean, this must be a theme for- that he was very I interested. Gibbons
0: in. wrote that. I yeah. I, for some reason, I thought Steve Rude did that all by himself. But for now, that doesn't. Huh. Yeah. I'm gonna have to take a look at that again. It's been a while since I've.
1: Yeah, that you know that one gets forgotten a lot. I think because the story doesn't have big stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a it's a very small personal story. I mean, it ultimately it, it revolves around an orphanage, or yeah. um, you know, the Joker and Luthor get involved. And uh, but the artwork is I mean, I like the story, and it, yeah. it's uh, and the the artwork is just. Gorgeous. I mean, this this Steve Rude at the. I mean, Steve Rude's still great. Uh, yeah. He still really hasn't lost a beat. But I mean, it's it's Steve Rude, and he's drawn Superman and Batman, uh, and those wonderful painted covers. And yeah, it's 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 just great. And and Dave Gibbons had written. Uh, well, no, he didn't write, but he drew uh, the Brave and the Bold number two hundred, and he did that one partially in the style of Dick Spring, because he did a segment on the Earth two Batman and a segment with the Earth one Batman. Uh, they kind of sort of team up. That's the last issue of Brave and the Bold. And uh, Mike Barr wrote that. So back to Nightcast. Uh, yep. <laughs> that's a great. I love that. I actually, love that comic. Uh, but um, he drew that in the style of Dick Spring. So he knew Dave Gibbons knew his Batman history. I mean, he you know, and I think he's that's one reason why you know he probably provide. I would guess he probably provided reference to Gray Morrow. If Gray Morrow didn't know, well, this is what the Batmobile looked like here. And in 1964, it looked like this. You know, uh, <laughs> and uh, it 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 just really. I don't know. It just, those little touches, uh, and Dick, Dick having a Hudson university sweater. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, that's a nice little nod. And the fact that obviously here, Dick is not fired. You know, he quits. <laughs> I mean, we're still coming off that God awful Max Allen Collins story, you know, um, uh, a few years later that, you know, is the bane of my existence. Uh, and, uh, the, to see
0: the detail I love though, is in that page when Dick is like giving the costume away Bruce is off to the side, looking at, looking through the microscope. You can tell there's this, like, there's this tension. Dick is coming here to basically quit to say, "Hey, I'm leaving. I'm graduating from being Robin. I'm going off on my own, and everything." And Bruce is like, "Okay, bye." And he's just like, "I'm, I, I've still got a war to win. I'm still doing my job and everything." And we do actually, we do see them shaking hands, like in the yeah. next panel. It, it, Batman, Bruce does have his hand out there, but just the fact that. Bruce is so distant in that scene, like he, he can't be bothered. He's got to do something else. Just fills that scene with like emotion, and then at the end when Bruce is just standing there watching him go, uh, with his hands behind his back. I just i I love the staging of that.
1: Yeah, that's that's really well done. I mean, the body language of you know mm-hmm. that they show. Uh, the, the the framing of it where they show mm-hmm. Dick handing the costume the cape to Alfred and and like you said Bruce is just super intent on his microscope yeah. uh it it just it it speaks volumes that you know either he's disappointed he's 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 probably semi hurt and kind of angry that he's leaving because you know he needs Robin you know and 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 he wouldn't admit to him but he's going to he's really going to miss him uh you know mm-hmm. uh and uh, you yeah, know this is this is um uh this is a little more of a post crisis interpretation of how dick really quit i mean pre crisis that he i mean it was a much more loving farewell between the two when he walked in the cave and jason was actually there and he handed him the costume uh yeah. in the actual original comic uh but uh yeah it's it's a little bit in, it's a, in between the two <laughs> and he's not slugging him like on the animated series so that's good uh you know but throwing his costume at him uh but uh although I, as much as I hate the, the Dick and Bruce being at each other for a long period of time that's the best version of that in my opinion but uh but yeah it's it, it's a, it's a, it's a great scene i love how you know we see you know it's interesting and i was going to ask you this do you think does this story, does this story need to be a Christmas story, or can it just be, could you take the Christmas element out of it, and could it still work?
0: Yes, yeah, I don't think this needs to be a Christmas story. You could take the Christmas trees out, and and the story's fine. Um, if anything, like, I mean, like, the... Maybe, like, just even in, in like, the, the Christmas star, basically the the star mm-hmm. of Bethlehem or whatever that shines mm-hmm. in, the, in the beginning and in the end is more of a unifying image more than... so than the Christmas trees in the background. I right. don't think you would sacrifice anything um, by taking the Christmas trees and the wreaths out of that. Um, but it also... There are other elements of Christmas. There are other themes and other symbols beyond just... Are sort of more commercialized ideas of like the trees and the decorations and the holiday things. Right. Christmas is also about reacting to, responding to the end of the year reflection, trying to do good deeds and and looking towards the next year uh, as a chance of spiritual and and social redemption and cleansing. Um, so all of that on a, on a broader level, yeah. I mean that's that kind of. I mean that's a, a story that's sort of universal for any superhero but certainly for Batman and Robin too
1: yeah i, I think that you know if you you know if, if you celebrate Christmas in a in a Christian sense and and not more of a secular sense then mm-hmm. of course then you know the Christmas the Be- the star of Bethlehem the Christmas star that marked the the birth of Jesus is is of course it bringing light and to balance the you know to balance the sins of the world and you know and then of course everything and and so that that ties into this theme of of the the light and the darkness between uh batman and robin and, and it, it totally works i i think i think you'd have a harder time you know you still might even need the the star of bethlehem in the story somewhere um but i i you know I, it wouldn't necessarily have to be a christmas story at that point i mean maybe you could it, it does it does bring the story to a higher level of consideration, you know, of a, of a, a spiritual level, you know, okay. just by, by its nature of, of being there and, and discussing light and darkness. Um, but yeah, the trappings of the actual secular Christmas of, of, of Christmas trees and reeds are not as necessary, but I do like, they do kind of help tell the story because we see Dick's, you know, they, they've got the when they give Robin Dick the costume that the, the um, you know, the, there's a tree, there's banners, and then later we see a huge tree when they're, you know, off in the sixties Batmobile and there's still Alfred's decorating the tree, uh, when Dick gives his uniform up. But then when Batman comes in with the beat up one headlight Batmobile, (laughs) poor Alfred's hanging a wreath. And it must be like, it's literally probably Christmas day, by the way this story goes, or Christmas Eve. And he's just now hanging a wreath up. So it's an afterthought by that point, you know, and it's just, it shows you, you know, how the lightness the light has faded uh, from here, and then you know, then we see, you know, the night of the. I don't know if it, well, I guess it's the same. I don't know if it's the same night that we see the uh, the the bird fall into the cave or not. But you know, we don't even see any Christmas decorations there. But we see the star at the end, of course. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 really well done. I mean, it's it's a short story. It's a, it's a pretty you know for a. Uh, I mean, this was a, this actually this Christmas with the superheroes comic. If you guys don't own it, I mean, I, there's been a lot of di- different holiday Christmas comics over the years. But I mean, this one is just a, a tour de force. I mean, it's got so many great people. It's got Paul Chadwick doing a of concrete doing a Superman story where he looks like George Reeves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oddly enough, he stops a man from committing suicide. So that's mm-hmm. kind of uh, interesting. Uh, it's a Wonder Woman story by Eric Schauner, a silent. Enemy Ace story. That's a silent story written. Uh, it's it's drawn in Joe Kubert style, but uh, done completely by John Byrne. Uh, there's a Satellite era Flash and Green Lantern story by Bill Loeb's and Colleen Dorn and Ty Templeton, and of course that Dead Man story with a uh, little cameo by a certain Girl of Steel by <laughs> Alan Brenner and Dick Giordano. And it's just, I mean, this is I, honestly this this single comic is probably one of my favorite single comic ever put out. You know, it just it's it's just there's not a there's not a loser in the whole book. I mean, it's it's so full of win. It's a lot of people that don't do a lot of mainstream superhero comics working on it. And and Cindy and I actually covered the Superman and Wonder Woman stories on Supermates uh, many years ago in episode 65. And then we did the Flash Green Lantern one on JLU cast two years ago in episode number seven so I, I obviously love this comic i keep coming back to it to cover on podcasts <laughs> one of these days i gotta do the enemy a story and and the the dead man we gotta do the dead man story at some point
0: <laughs> The gift that keeps on giving
1: yeah yeah but it's yeah i i i just um yeah i think i think i mean do do you got any final thoughts on this one ryan
0: no, I mean I I wouldn't have thought to cover this one because again like thinking like that, that its connection to Christmas is more tenuous. But really, after reading it and th- and sitting with it a little bit longer and thinking about it in that dis- discussion, it's a really it's just a damn good story. I mean, it, yeah. I I think it can be taken out of the Christmas thing and just kind of applied to anything. But just as as uh an example of some of the the broader and the deeper themes of Batman and his universe and what Robin means to him and just sort of the exploration of of uh a narrative and you know putting the the POV from this stationary location and just the way time and inevitability kind of like changes us and and I mean when you're dealing with themes of you know light and darkness, and there must be a balance you know that when you when you start talking in that language, that can get overwrought and sappy and and it can sound like eighth grade poetry. And this doesn't, because Dave Gibbons is a really, really talented storyteller, and he knows what he's doing. Um, and Gray Morrow's art is not to be beat. It's just, it's so, it's such a good-looking thing, and it's only ten pages. So, yeah, this right. is, it's, yeah, these are both. I, I, I really enjoy. It. These are two very, very different types of stories, but both very, very good Batman stories.
1: Yeah, and and you know, it's kind of funny. You and I started talking about our Christmas memories, and they both centered on getting a Batcave Christmas. <laughs> And yep. I mean, it just—it goes to show you that Batcave is a character in the Batman mythology. It Very is.
0: important. It absolutely it, is.
1: It's got to be there somewhere, and this is one of the few stories that's told. From, maybe the only story told from the perspective of the Batcave. So that alone makes it uh, pretty unique. And yeah, I, I really enjoy this one a lot. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> okay, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll cover your listener feedback
2: the time is out of joint the time is out of joint the time is out of joint the year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994 time is under threat and history is falling apart who will survive this crisis and how will history be changed for those that do Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in as the DC Universe goes down to zero join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network
0: remember Legion On the last episode, we discussed Dreadful Birthday, Dear Joker from Batman 321 and A Clash of Symbols from Detective Comics 617. As usual, we got great feedback across social media, and these are the comments left on the website, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. The first comment came from someone posting as Vankman, must be a Ghostbusters fan, who -hmm. said, Chris had an accident? to quote Mark McClure from the end of the first Back to the Future movie, when the hell did this happen? Why wasn't I told? Why am I always the last person to find out about these things?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, I did. I had a very stupid bicycle accident in my backyard. Uh, and I was thrown from the bicycle onto my shoulder, which you know basically dislocated my shoulder, uh, and uh, I had to do some physical therapy. But I'm mostly back, back to normal at this point. But thanks for asking.
0: <laughs> I would have made up a better story. I would, you were, you know. Yeah, I
1: know. It was like <laughs> I was in a fight with a couple of ninjas or something, yeah, or <laughs>
0: you, you fought off a bear. You were defending Cindy and the kids.
1: That's right. Yeah, there was a bear digging through the trash, and I fought him off. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Leyland from the Palace of Glittering Delight said I bought Death in the Family on Chris's recommendation and quite enjoyed it the gimmick was fun and it isn't as simple as choose your own ending the rating may be for the Sergeant Rock short rather than the main feature the UK release is only a 15 rather than the R equivalent and 18 yeah I didn't watch the Sergeant Rock short yet because uh, Andrew took off with the movie and I haven't seen it again but uh, <laughs> but basically it's his so it's fine okay. but uh, I'm glad you liked it Andy I, I, I enjoyed it I I haven't sat through and watched all the different possible endings. We watched most of them, I think, Uh, but I I don't. I don't think I saw every single path that you can take. uh, Which, so I need to do that at some point. But uh, you know, these are ratings. There's that new. uh, They announced that Batman: Soul of the Dragon, which has um, it's set in the seventies, and yeah, it's got
0: a whole kung fu action look. It's got Bronze Tiger, um, Lady Shiva, and. Mm
1: Richard Dragon. Richard
0: Dragon is a bag yeah, yeah.
1: He looks like, Richard Dragon looks like Bruce Lee in this in this movie rather than, which I've heard some people say, oh, you know, that's that old redhead Richard Dragon. He's like, well, guys, you know, I don't know if that was the best idea back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's, Maybe we should make Richard Dragon, you know, actually, you know, Asian, Asian-American might be a good idea. I don't know. Uh, but so it doesn't bother me. He's a, you know, but but it's rated R, too. And I'm like, why do they keep rating these things R? You know, it's like they don't have to. That 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 type of stuff just kind of drives me nuts. It's like it, it can be a little on the edgy side, but let's keep it to PG-13 so most people can watch it and quit trying to act like, oh, comics are adults, so let's rate it R. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just. So pretentious at this point in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, Andy also said, you guys can have Dark Knight, Dark City if we can have the Jerry Conway, Don Newton issues that bring Hugo Strange back. Uh, Yeah, you guys can, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know about you, Ryan, but I I love me some Don Newton. But if you guys want to cover those, that's a great uh, run. But Yeah. No,
0: yeah, go go for it. I mean, we might we might circle back to them in a couple of years, but uh, yeah, we definitely we're I'm, we're planning to tackle Dark Night, Dark City starting next month. Uh, we're we're gonna split up. We're gonna it's over January through March, and we're gonna spend three months on those that three parter and and also share that time with uh, three other stories that we got in mind. So
1: yeah, yeah. Ryan is a madman. He has plotted Nightcast <laughs> out for the next year, people. <laughs>
0: I, I did. I don't know. Like I I had some. I I don't know what it was. I just got this bug in me. Oh, where I just started thinking about like the next and yeah I plan so oh yeah but 2021 and you know stuff might come up and we might make some changes but I mean I've got we've got plans so anticipate Dark Knight Dark City and also the Man Bat trilogy in the beginning and then we're gonna get to the Batman special with the player on the other side we're gonna tackle Batman Annual Eight by Mike Barr and Trevor Von Eden we're Woo-hoo. gonna get to those early Grant and Bray Vogel issues from Detective um probably come finish up the the Marshall Rogers issues with the coming up Clayface um yeah we yeah we, we, got, we got i got everything planned out so with yeah. with the uh, with you know flexibility if we have to change things but
1: yeah you, when you sent me that what about this i'm like Damn, that's really good. I, I don't think I changed a single thing or suggested a single thing. I'm like, I like it. Let's do it. You know, so.
0: <laughs> uh, with, with the with the caveat that on every every time we release a new episode, I'm going to tell people that there will be a special announcement about the future of this podcast at the end, <laughs> <laughs> just to keep people guessing.
1: There you go. <laughs> We're going to stop Dark Night, Dark City at part part one just cancel the show I guess we never did do part two of that Two-Face story when we switched gears but nobody seemed to notice or care
0: yeah Yeah, I keep thinking I was like can we go finish that do we need to I don't really want to anyway I don't
1: want to to either no the heck with it
0: Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said of Detective Comics 617, This is such a great issue, all of those bat bits, it was like an issue full of Silver Age DC fact pages. You know, flash facts, or Wonder Woman's love traditions of the world. One of which advised that if you sleep with a bowl of water under the pillow, you'll dream of the man you'll marry. Or drown. <laughs> and the facts led to a wonderfully intense spread. And then Chris gives us some background on the term redneck. Podcasts am educational. <laughs> Maybe it's not a mistake by Alan Grant, though. Perhaps in comics, Bruce is putting on a fake good old boy accent. Yeah, that's it. Ah, <laughs> oh, i got to imagine that.
1: Hey, have you ever seen that, those bad lip-reading guys? They do oh, a lot yeah, of Star Wars. Yeah. The redneck Avengers. Have oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. I know it's old, but if you guys haven't seen that, go look that up. Me and Danny watched that again the other night. I laughed my ass off. It's okay.
0: so freaking hilarious. I love those. I love whenever they do, like, the bat lip reading of the NFL also is good. And they've, got, they've yeah. got a whole, like, musical version for Star Wars songs like that. Are, oh, yeah. I love great. it. Yeah. Uh, Martin continues to say, as with the Detective Comics issue, I bought the second comic when it came out. I love that cover. He's talking about Batman 321, the, the birthday one. Mm-hmm. I love that cover, and have never noticed the ruddy pink Joker head cake. Given that the Joker always reappears after disappearing into a watery abyss, has anyone checked for a teleporter in his pocket? <laughs> you're right about the deliberate efforts to make Gotham City a more distinct environment. Paul Levitz, when he joined a Batman book as editor, said in an early letter column that he wanted people to become as familiar with the streets of Gotham as those of their own town. Probably his first issue 310.
3: Mm.
0: Chris, as regards it happened one night, you were thinking of Claudette Colbert, not Mary Astor, which you likely remembered 10 seconds after wrapping the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did.
0: (laughs) Moving on. Uh, Martin says, I mentioned Batman 310 back there. Would you consider that for a future edition? Amazing cover, comedy accents, a bat disguise, and much more as Levitz, Ween, and Novick begin a brand new day for the series. And the following issue 311 sees Steve Englehart and Dr. Phosphorus return to Gotham, prompting Batman and Batgirls first team up in a decade. So it says here, um, Possibly, I mean, I mean, like I just said, I've got like the next eleven months <laughs> like plotted out. But if for some reason we felt like changing something up, uh, we could go back to those uh, those uh, Paul Levitt's era.
1: Yeah, I love that uh, the the issue with uh, three eleven with Doctor Phosphorus and Batman and Batgirl. I, I bought that one right off the stand. That's the first time I actually saw Doctor Phosphorus in a comic, and he's like, it's not in the comic, but there's this giant Doctor Phosphorus like s- destroying Gotham and. And the way that Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, draws uh, uh, Batman and Batgirl's face, Batgirl's like literally got her hands over her face, like going, "Oh my god!" It's, <laughs> it's, it, I, I just love that cover. It's just—I mean, nobody could pull that look off but yeah, It's just burned in my brain. So yeah, we need to cover that at some point. Yeah, we'll get
0: around
1: <laughs> to it. Yep. yep. Uh, Gene Hendricks piped in. I doubt there are rednecks in New Jersey. You're right, Chris. In New Jersey, they're called pineys. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know i i am not aware i'm not aware of pines, but uh i will keep an eye out for' them, so there you go <laughs> uh,
0: our buddy Paul hicks from the d c o c d and the recently kind of completed kind of on hiatus waiting for doom said, if you liked the Lego Batman movie, but you want something a little more grown up, may I humbly suggest a lego technic batman movie <sighs>
2: paul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> speaking of lego i was uh, i was happy to see that lego masters hosted by will arnett who's the voice of lego batman uh is coming back because me and danny love that show that was a fun uh competition show with all these different lego masters trying to build so it's really fun if it, i think it's out on hulu if you guys haven't watched it it is a whole lot of fun watching all these people try to build leg- these crazy Lego things like in an hour
0: or something. It's it's really fun. <laughs> I've got to watch uh, it, the new Lego Star Wars holiday special. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Oh, yeah. You'll like that. Yeah. It was a lot I, of fun. I've, I've
0: heard good things. I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't yeah, seen it yet. Yeah, it's
1: a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, David A. Scudieras said, no more Joker stories, eh? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> No more. No more Joker stories.
0: Nothing on the calendar for now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, we will eventually, maybe. But, uh, you know, that Joker story with Jerry Conway and and, uh, Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, where he, you know, Joker, like, basically puts his face on a mountain. That's a fun one. Uh, If we ever come back to Joker stories, we should probably maybe do that one. That's good.
0: (laughs) You know, I mean, possibly for next Christmas, because it it will fulfill the one-year moratorium, possibly for next Christmas we could do that sleigh ride story where he picks up Tim Drake. Uh, oh, I love yeah. that story by Paul Dini.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. That's Pretty grim, but yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Uh, Noah Tarnow said, While Detective 617 wasn't the first issue of my Batman reading career, it was one of my early ones, being among the many, many people drawn in by the 89 film. And I, too, remember it very fondly. Never forgot the double-page spread of bats shearing off the top of the Joker's car. Here's something bizarre. I believe I could be wrong, but I believe that is the only full-length Joker story ever drawn by Norm Brayfogel. He made cameo appearances in others, in my beloved The Last Arkham, for example. Bat's kids to punch him in the face. <laughs> I think he's right. I can't think of another.
1: No, I don't think he did either other run than like... on
0: Detective or on Batman. I don't know if Bray did another story with the Joker as the lead villain.
1: I think he's right, yeah. I think he, he, just little cameos and, you know, he pin He mostly, ups like, and,
0: like, during that era, he was mostly doing, like, brand original villains. He didn't do, like, a lot of, I mean, there was a Penguin story there. It might have been a Two-Face one, but yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was mostly they were creating their own villains, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: A lot of new rogues, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, Noah says, I too like Dreadful Birthday, but to nitpick, I find Simonson's art ought to be a little inconsistent, particularly with how he draws the Joker's face. Comically bulbous chin on page four, chipmunk expression on page ten, monkey nose on the final page. I don't know, maybe that adds to the sense of the Joker's mania, but I've always found them distracting. Yeah, um, part of it could be Simonson, and part of it could be... Giordano inking and possibly making some changes depending on yeah I don't know, I don't
1: know. it's the three jokers I, there, were three, was different, I, there I, were three different I, jokers throughout that story I, I, that's I, what I wasn't happened.
0: going to say it but I'm glad you did
1: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read that so I have no comment the uh, yeah, art I mean, looks gorgeous in that is that Fabok? Jason Fabok? Jason
0: Faybach who's yeah. yeah who's really really good but,
1: yeah. oh yeah it looks gorgeous but I, I'm i just kind of yeah, I'm not that <laughs> interested
0: in reading it honestly
1: it's awful but I'm just not yeah <laughs>
0: Uh, Noah also says, Finally, yes, there was a Legends of the DC Universe story written by Inglehart and set immediately after the end of The Laughing Fish, in which Aquaman and the other Atlanteans recruit the Joker to help him remove the smiles from their finny friends. It's not very good. Apart from the aforementioned nonsense of Batman beating up Aquaman, it makes all of the Atlantis look like morons. They believe the Joker's line that he's king of the surface world and features some extremely lackluster work from Trevor Von Eden, Skep.
1: Hmm. So this is Black Canary era, Trevor Von Eden, maybe?
0: (laughs) Uh, If not later, I think that Legends of the DC, that was like late 90s, early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, so it was a little bit later, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Rob McCarthy added to that, he said the Legends of the DC is real and stupid. Batman beats the crap out of Aquaman, which I buy if Batman knew he was going to fight Aquaman, but Aquaman is really strong.
1: I don't know if I ever see batman beating the crap out of aquaman i'm sorry i just don't see that I, I, you know it's like i don't know we're getting into can batman beat superman territory there yeah. but it's like yeah know your role bruce don't try to beat up on super powered people okay you know it's <laughs> uh tim price from the outcasters of batman the outsiders podcast said i was collecting all of the monthly batman comics in the period when detective number 617 came out man i love that issue Showing how little I've read of older Batman comics, number 321 was a first read for me before listening to this podcast. Agreed to the wonkiness of Batman's plan, so I tried to stay in the Silver Age mindset while also enjoying the artwork. The problem with the Joker disguising his face to dress as a woman. That reminded me of a b- story in Batman Family. Let me look up which issue it is. Moon River. <laughs> ah, <laughs> number eight, the copycat girl capers, where a new fem- where a new femme fatale appears calling herself Cat Girl and Robin has to catch her before Catwoman does. At the end, it's revealed to be Duella Dent with her elongated Joker-like chin, which apparently just disappears when wearing disguise makeup because comics. I think that's copyright Michael Bailey. He didn't add that, but I will. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, uh, I have that issue, and you're right. Yeah, that... That was when Duella was like, she was the Joker's daughter. She was the Penguin's daughter. She was Catwoman's daughter. She was the Scarecrow's daughter. And she ended up being Two-Face's daughter, but not really. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, she her weird Joker chin that somehow fit under her uh, flesh mask. Yeah, really strange. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> yeah, we just can't get enough. We just can't get enough. We should, somebody should do a collection of all the different images of People pulling off like Batman and other people pulling off flesh masks, you know, from you know with his ears underneath and the Joker's chin and weird stuff like that. You know, I, I wonder if Hawkman ever did that. That would be oh, the ultimate. If Hawkman ever did that with the wings and the beak and the the the, the parts of the beak hanging down, you know, around his like the, the his jaw, you know, that would be awesome. I want to see Hawkman pull off a rubber mask like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it like keeps like... It's, it's the most exaggerated version of the mental image I keep going back to. is from the movie Airplane, when Rex Kramer rips off his sunglasses, and he's got another pair of sunglasses on, directly yeah. underneath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, folks, that is going to be it for episode 33 of Batman Nightcast. Uh, we really hope you enjoyed this one, and... Ah, uh, it's December now. We really hope your holidays are—you are, know—it's—it's going to be a rough holidays because a lot of people aren't going to be doing what they would love to be doing this holiday season. Um, but it's really important that you guys be smart, be safe, take the situation seriously. Uh, as of the time of this recording, it looks like there are potentially numerous vaccines that are that are in in rapid development it's going to take some months before they're out there but uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel so don't screw up don't do anything stupid think about what's best for your family might not mean being with your family uh, for the immediate future um, yeah. so just yeah uh, take care of yourself we will continue to you know try to put out as as many and as quality podcasts as we can to keep you entertained during this time um, and, yeah, we, we will be back in January with the first appearance of Man-Bat and a great Riddler story from Dark Knight, Dark City. I'm looking forward to those. Um, just two different eras, two great stories. Um, yeah, I I just I went whole lot. I was like, I'm just going to throw in as many great Batman stories that we haven't talked about yet onto this calendar. And that's what we're going to yep. do.
1: Yeah, it's it's very exciting, guys. I think I think you're gonna love it. And I, you know, I, I totally agree with Ryan. Uh, you know, a st- get a stack of Christmas comics, read them by the tree, and uh, stay safe and and have the best Christmas you can. And and uh, hopefully, we'll all be in a better place next Christmas.
0: <laughs> Whew, let's hop across. <laughs> <Gosh, laughs> all right, everybody, take care. Happy holidays.
3: Children will sing. be back.
1: Batman Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast.
0: You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com.
1: You can find me on Twitter at supermatespod or email me at supermatespodcast at gmail.com.
0: Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash podcasts.
1: You can also support us by leaving a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider audience. Batman Nightcast is also available on Spotify.
0: This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening.
2: I think of you wherever you go.
3: colder day by day, I miss you, I can hear people singing, it must be Christmas time, I hear people singing,